Hello and welcome to the My Modern Mantra podcast. My name is Ellie Young, and I'm so grateful that you're here. So today is a special episode to celebrate my 26th birthday. Often on my birthdays is the time of the year that I like to reflect on the past year and set intentions for the year to come, more so than like the new year, January 1st. I really like to use this point in my years to evaluate and set myself up for the coming year, which, you know, makes perfect sense. And it's also right at the middle of the year. So it helps me to kind of evaluate the past few months and see where I'm going for the remainder of the calendar year. So I love to journal around and on my birthday to both reflect and set intentions. Today, I thought it would be fun to share 26 lessons that I've learned in 26 years. So I've created this list, and I wouldn't say that these are necessarily in order of priority, but this is the list that came to me when I asked myself, what are some of the greatest lessons that I have learned on this birthday? What are the things that are really standing out to me and that are important to me? What are my values? What have I learned recently that's bringing me into this new iteration of myself as I turn 26? And so funny, I've been joking with some friends that I'm in my late 20s now and because, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm over 25, so I'm in the, the latter half of the 20s. I'm in my late 20s now, aren't I? And I was like, yeah, I'm old now. I'm in my late 20s. How cool and refined. And when I started saying that to people, they're like, no, you're not. You're definitely still in your mid-20s. Like, you're not in your late 20s until like 27, 28. <laughs> so I got some pushback on that whole uh, late 20s thing. But I'm still kind of feeling like I'm in the late 20s. I'm getting up there. So getting old, y'all. But I'm forever young due to my last name being young. So there's that. Okay, so let's get into these lessons. 26, here we go. Number one follow my intuition. This is a big one for me, particularly in the past year or two. And I have majorly stepped into following my intuition, trusting my intuition, and it has become a big part of my life. Or rather, I could say it has become a major lifestyle or a way in which I live my life intuitively. So I feel that I've always been a pretty intuitive person, an intuitive kid, in fact, as well, just sensitive and perceptive to things in my life. And I never really understood how intuition would become more of a spiritual component of my life. But at this point, I've learned so much more about how I can listen, tune into, and understand my intuitive notions and how it can really be my own guiding light. And as soon as I started to understand that idea and the more that I've worked to embrace that and really have honed a practice of intuition with journaling, meditation, and things like that, I have started to super trust my intuition. And now I definitely still question it from time to time. I think it's normal like when you get these intuitive notions to be like, wait, where did that come from? Or am I crazy? Or, you know, what is this deriving from? But it's, it's that inner light, that guiding light that I have learned to just say yes to more and more and more. And being intuitive, there's a lot to be said around it. But I guess the main thing for me is just not that I'm making an irrational decision, although I would say that intuition, following an intuitive decision is different than making a rational one. But that's not to say that intuition is irrational either, because It's not impulsive, it's not short-sighted. Typically, an intuitive decision could come to me pretty early on, but it still takes some pondering and some thought and mindfulness around how I'm going to actually go about something. But all that being said, it's, it's still a process of navigating the ins and outs of acting on an intuitive decision, but following my intuition and listening to those little inner nudges has brought me closer and closer to some of the things that I love most in my life, and has really helped me to feel at peace with where I'm at at 26 now. So that's lesson one, big one for me. We could talk way more about intuition. I'll probably do a full episode, if not multiple full episodes on that topic. 
All right, number two. This is a biggie. Everything in life is an opportunity to align my personality with my soul. Now, this is taken directly from Gary Zukav's book, Seed of the Soul, which has become a huge part of my past year of my life as I've started to study more around the soul, what that means to us in our human lives, and how we can use the soul to connect to our greater connection to the whole universe. And so, yeah, that's a biggie right there. But what I like about this phrase that he uses, he talks about how every instance in life, all of the trials and tribulations, and even like the little moments, like in line at the grocery store with the cashier, or just those little interactions in our day-to-day, and how we, how we react to things, how we show up, how we carry ourselves, the decisions that we make, every little thing is an opportunity for us to better align our, I'll say daily self, the self that we show up as on a normal basis, and our soul being our more higher intention or our more authentic self. So that's to say like if you're acting out or you're not acting in a way that feels in alignment with who you really are, every single thing that we encounter in life is an opportunity to evaluate that and to come closer to a version of your authentic self and really start to to be yourself in your day-to-day. So I really love that he kind of opens that door wide to say that every little thing is an opportunity. It's all a practice field. This whole thing that we're doing here is a practice, practice run in order for us to greater understand ourselves. So that's a biggie for sure. Number three, resistance is a helpful indicator. So what I mean by this is as I have started to come up against resistance or come up to resistance in my life, it's very frustrating. It's oftentimes disheartening when it's something that I really love and I'm coming up against resistance or it's something that you know, continues to come up for me, like a thought, an idea, or a concept that even is coming up, maybe not just in my thoughts, but also like externally, like people are mentioning it, et cetera, et cetera. Like these things that just keep coming up and then I feel resistant toward. And when I say resistant, I'm talking about feeling uncomfortable or feeling like I want to tiptoe around a certain subject or that I just don't even want to ponder it. I don't even want to consider this thing. And what have what I've realized in working through some things that I'm resistant to, both in my personal life, my spiritual practices, really anything, also work, any any level or part of life, I've realized that it can actually be a really, really helpful indicator. And I've gotten this from a couple of coaches and mentors as well. So like when you are resisting something, it's likely due to things like fear that are blocking something that you really ought to explore. So an example for me, which I'm admittedly (laughs) resistant to even bring up, but, but I think that makes this the perfect example. So this past year, I have been experimenting with the idea of coaching. And that term in itself makes me uncomfortable. It I have a lot of resistance toward the idea of me becoming a coach. And so I started to rename it to guide or mentor. And I do really like and resonate with those terms. But it's funny when I think about the the concept of coaching, I feel like everybody and their mother coaches. It's just like this title that doesn't have a lot of substance behind it for many. And I was resistant toward even looking into it. Yet I felt compelled or at least a bit interested in exploring what it would be like to work with someone one-on-one. And the more I started to think on that, you know, I was like, well, that's coaching, right? (laughs) Working with someone one-on-one in that kind of mentorship capacity, what is that but coaching? And coaching is just a term that describes that kind of dynamic, right? But I was so resistant to it. And even still, I can tell that I have a little edge of resistance toward the idea of at least labeling myself as that, less about actually doing the thing, but the label. And so I'm starting to explore that. But I, I share this because 
the point is that resistance is a helpful indicator because I came up against resistance towards something that ultimately was a good direction for me to go or something that I am actually passionate about. And it's funny because I get resistance around a lot of things that I am interested in or passionate about but scared to explore. And so it, it also kind of culminates in things like feelings, like unresolved feelings, um, things that I don't want to dive deeper into due to, you know, suppressed or uncomfortable feelings that I'm harboring from, you know, past experiences and memories. And that's the kind of stuff that I've been able to work more through with someone like a therapist or an energy healer. So resistance will come up and it it's uncomfortable. It can be icky, but it's definitely a helpful guiding light to maybe look at that thing. And maybe it's because that thing is not for you and it's time to pivot away. Or maybe it's because you need to look a little harder at why you're resisting the thing. So that's the valuable lesson I've learned around resistance and I'm continuing to explore it. Number four is really similar, but imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is a sign that I care. So again, like this resistance that comes up around things that I love, that imposter syndrome very often is developed around things that I am passionate about, like teaching about these concepts, these spiritual concepts, you know, asking myself, who am I to talk about the soul? Who am I to talk about these concepts? And, you know, I, I just jumped into this work. It felt very organic. I felt an intuitive call to do it. So, you know, why am I questioning myself for one? But I love this. I had a coach once say to me, you know, when I think to myself, who am I to do X, Y, Z? It's like, who am I not to do this? Who, who out there is telling me not to do this? Who am I not to? Like, I owe it to some folks. I owe it to people in my life to step into an awesome version of myself. And so who am I not to do the things? And also when I asked myself the question of who am I to talk about the soul, I thought pretty quickly this intuitive response came right up and it was like, the only prerequisite is that you have a soul and that you were called to talk about it. You know, I, I give myself grace for, for those times when I ask those questions like, who am I to do this? Or like, why, why is this something that I'm interested in? Like, who am I to be this way? And it's like, who am I not to? Like, I get to decide who I am. I get to decide what shoes I fill and step into. There's no one holding me back except for myself. So whenever I come into imposter syndrome, again, it feels so icky, but it is absolutely an opportunity for me to realign my priorities, realize that I give a shit about this, that I care, and that it's worth pursuing despite the fear. Number five, I have learned the power of words and particularly the power of my own thoughts. Improving my inner dialogue has been a really big piece of the past, I would say two years of my life. I really did not realize how many stories I had on loop in my own mind and how those thoughts and beliefs around my life were affecting me. And one of the main examples I have of this that I've uncovered in the past couple of years is actually some work that I did in therapy that um, my therapist instructed that I write down memories, sort of just free flow, like to start by writing any memory and then let that compound, write any memories that come up, journaling on memories of my life, aka like telling my story. I mean, I could probably spend a lot of time doing that, but I spent a number of hours or so journaling on these different memories and just thinking about me now as an adult, how I perceive them to be. And then after I did that exercise a little bit, she asked me to start to think about the through lines that I would see, the patterns that I noticed in my own experiences and in the ways that I perceived them. And almost immediately, the thing that I thought and answered back to her was that I am alone in this. And I have had this unhelpful limiting belief 
for a long time because, you know, I'm an only child and, you know, I just felt like I had to be so independent and I just took on this role that it's just me, it's just Ellie, I'm alone in this, like, no one else needs to have a say, you know, this is up to me, this is on my shoulders, but also that no one else has had this experience or et cetera, et cetera, all these ideas. And obviously you can see how this would be pretty limiting and pretty disheartening and scary at times to be alone in these situations, whereas that's just not true. Just not true. And I'm grateful that I was able to identify that because it helped me pull back and look at that and realize, yeah, that's false. I've been telling myself this lie for a long time and it has affected me in a lot of my interactions and decisions in my life. And that gives me the opportunity now to pivot and change that dialogue. And that was a deeply rooted one, but there's also just these, these thoughts on loop. We have like thousands, hundreds upon thousands of thoughts a day that we're often thinking many of the same thoughts over and over again. To me, this is why mantra has been so helpful and supportive to me because it's encouraged me to loop thoughts that are positive and insightful and encouraging and often what I be I need to be hearing rather than the fears that are on loop in my own mind. And personally, I have been doing Course in Miracles for a number of months now, and each day there is a, a mantra of sorts associated with it where it you're intended to like repeat this mantra just silently to yourself num numerous times throughout the day. There's different assignments, but multiple times, as often as possible, usually. So I've gotten into this good habit of having a, a daily kind of a mantra or a daily thought that I'm meant to be revisiting. And that has been so helpful because it just reminds me to be present with my thoughts and, and see them and reevaluate and you know plug in the positive ones and start to replace the other stuff that's on loop. So that has been an incredibly powerful practice for me. It has helped me to get to know myself better. It has helped me to pull myself out of those funks a lot quicker. I used to get into these funks and really not know why or how I was really feeling. I couldn't even put words to it. But now I'm much better about like understanding how I feel and, and, and observing the thoughts that are perpetuating the ways that I feel. And so I'm much more apt now to be able to navigate my emotions. So that's a huge one. That's the perfect segue actually to number six. And it's, I choose how to feel and how to react. And literally everything I just explained in the past one relates to this because I've been able to practice being more present with my inner dialogue and how I feel in situations. And I've learned to be less reactive. I, I certainly still struggle with this. It really takes being mindful in a situation and being in a good place and having a consistent practice so that you feel good in your interactions and can discern like, okay, like whatever just happened, that makes me uncomfortable or that makes me feel awkward or left out or whatever it might be. And you know, you might start to build, like we're talking about, build a story around that. Like I have, you know, build a resentment around something even. And the thing is, the thing might've happened. This event may have occurred, but I get to choose how I feel about it. If this thing happened that I don't like and I don't approve of, and I, I just don't want anything to do with it. And I have judgments around it. I can stew on that thing for days, for weeks or longer. I can choose to sink into that and stew on that and feel really gross about that for as long as I want. I can choose to do that. Or I can choose to feel the feels for as long as I need and process it and ask myself, okay, like, why do I feel icky about this situation? Like, what is happening here? And I can choose to realize that this is just an event that occurred outside of myself, outside of my control often. And how am I going to feel about it? Because I get to choose, you know, when I wake up every day, I get to choose if I'm going to have a shitty day 
based on what I want to perpetuate or if I'm going to step into a more enlightened version of myself. And it's really difficult sometimes to choose that, but I'm learning more and more to discern, understand, and decide how I will react to things in my life. And it's brought me a lot more peace. Number seven is similar to the ideas around intuition that I've been sharing, but this one is more specific. So the lesson is that intuitive decisions are not impulsive ones or emotional decisions. I have realized in the past few years that I grew up definitely like most people did. I would say like most women did in particular, like most girls. We had the experience of being told not to make emotional decisions, not to be rash, not to make irrational emotional decisions. You know, they didn't want us to uh, go wild or go rogue and make crazy womenly emotional decisions. And I just think this is, I'm not saying just me, like I really think this is something that like women have been told for, for the longest. And I've, I've pondered this in recent months and years of my life. I see why people say this kind of thing. You know, you don't want to make a really impulsive decision that could lead to something potentially dangerous or, or just totally wrong for you. But I don't think that an intuitive decision needs to be an impulsive one. I am sort of revolting against this idea of emotional decision making because, you know, I wouldn't want to do anything rash, but I certainly don't have to. Like, I, I often will get an idea of what I would like to do in any given situation, but I really need to take time to sit with it and understand if it is intuition, because it does take a little clearing to understand whether it's a purely intuitive decision or if it's coming from fear or somewhere else. So often I'll get, you know, a feeling, an idea, an intuition about something, but I have to sit with it for a little while. And um, I might, I might change my mind. I might come to a new conclusion or I might have known the whole time what was best for me, but it takes some time to accept what was best for me because it's not always what's easiest to do or best for everyone in the situation. But sometimes it requires being a little selfish or just making a hard decision. So again, I don't think that we've been led correctly to follow our intuition because we've been told not to make emotional decisions, not to make decisions from the heart necessarily. Uh, we've been taught to make decisions from the head and based upon what other people think. And in doing that, we've, I feel, have lost the connection to our intuition. But I think we are now, we, I say we like collectively, those of you listening to this, myself and many people in my life are learning to reconnect to our intuition and to realize that that's a really powerful guidance system and that it's not crazy, it's not flawed, it's not woo-woo to believe these notions that are coming up and that it's actually potentially the most empowering thing that you can do for yourself. Okay, number eight. Another major lesson I've learned is that simply I desire to live a creative life and I want to do things that feel creative, that bring my joy to the surface that maybe even harken back to things I loved to do as a child. And I, in the past year, have really embraced this, you know, particularly through quarantine. We all had to get pretty creative about how we were going to spend our time, particularly in our homes. And I definitely found some things that I hadn't picked up in a while, like coloring, like adult coloring books. Definitely a big fan of that. I actually do them pretty often. I'll find myself wanting to color like at least once a week now. This podcast is a creative outlet for me, as well as everything else that I share, the meditations that I create. That's a creative outlet for me. But also things that are purely fun and don't need to be productive because I always want to like check the boxes around things, but I really don't need to always have to check the box. And in fact, I would say that's even like a second lesson. Like that would be number nine, like one, that I want to live a creative life and two, that I need to make time for my joy. I need to make time for fun. For me, that is things like taking bike rides or getting back in the pool. Oh my gosh, this past year I started swimming again, swimming laps, which is kind of like a more regimented practice, but it feels like childhood to me because I swam as a kid. 
I love to be in the pool. I love to be around the pool. I love that feeling of, of the summertime hanging out at the pool. And that feels fun and creative for me. So making time for these things has been hugely important. Truly, I believe that everyone is creative and everyone can find their creative spark in some way that resonates with them. So I am just doing my part to find what makes me feel best, feel creative, feel like I'm having the most fun. So that's like a two-in-one lesson for you right there. Next up, meditation isn't everything for me. It's a lesson I've learned that might be a little controversial. And while I recognize that I could certainly benefit from a deeper meditation practice, I've also been able to explore my spiritual self quite a lot doing other things too. Because when I first came into spirituality, meditation was definitely one of the first things that I became aware of. You know, I started to read and learn about Buddhist traditions and went to a Buddhist temple a number of times and started to meditate and started to have some of my first textbook spiritual experiences that way. And while I found a lot of value in that and still believe it is so powerful and important in a spiritual life in whatever capacity that you work that into your life, I have also found so much depth and fulfillment and exploration in my journal, which is really the big, the big tool for me, but also embracing other practices as spiritual, like movement-based practices, like being in nature, going on walks, mindful walks, or dance. Dance has also become a hugely important practice for me, and it really helps when I am not feeling comfortable or willing to sit still in a meditation practice. Sometimes it's more beneficial for me just to shake and move my body and work through how I'm feeling in that way rather than sitting still in meditation. And yet I say this and I've actually lately been more inclined just out of the blue to sit and meditate and so I'm, I'm following that urge but when that's not what I need I allow myself to try something different and it's worked well for me. That leads me to number 11, that journaling is my greatest tool or writing in general, because I, like I said, have found so much solace and depth and just beautiful exploration in my spiritual self via my journal. And writing, the act of actually writing an entry is healing to me, but also reading back entries and sharing with others the awesome practice that is journaling and what I've gotten from it has just been so hugely beneficial in my life and so I really believe it's my greatest tool in my toolbox of spiritual things. Number 12 is simply to share your story or share my story. What I've learned is that everyone has a story and you know it takes a little unveiling to appreciate someone's story, you know, why they are the way they are. And I've learned that as I've shared more of myself, as I've shared my story with others, I have found so much more relation to other people because there are things that we all experience as humans that is relatable and there's a coherence between us all, even though the context of what we might experience may be a little different to some. There's still lessons and reflections of our experiences that can be really relatable to others and when you share your story like when you speak up and use your voice to say what you're going through what you've been through and the lessons and strength that you've created through those experiences I believe that it can really help another person who is possibly where you were six months ago or six years ago And it can also help you to process and step into a new version of yourself as you share your stories, as you share your experience, strength, and hope. It allows you to step into this new role of of mentor or teacher. And even if you're not formally doing those things, it, I believe, helps you step into a new iteration of understanding about yourself and life as you know it. And just sharing your authentic self with people is really powerful. You know, opening your heart, it does require trust in that way. And it requires, it requires vulnerability as well. 
And both of those things can be really beautiful and powerful. And there's certainly a line to be crossed, right? Like I don't want to share too much of myself with the world because that's that can be scary. And you know, some things are meant to be personal, but there's certainly a difference between like privacy and secrecy, right? Like I'm not trying to hold back secrets, but there are some things in my life that will remain private, yet there are some things that if shared could really be helpful to another person. And so I'm learning to balance that and to learn, you know, what is going to be relatable, what is going to be beneficial to someone. And I've been grateful to share my own story and I love to hear other people's stories because it really just helps me understand myself and the world a lot better. Number 13 is to listen more. I've learned that in speaking with friends that I'm someone who does like to talk. I mean, here I am doing a solo cast. I'm someone who feels often has felt, I'll say, because I I don't necessarily feel this way now, but I have often felt like I need to fill quiet space with words. And what I've observed in people that I really admire actually is that there's a confidence and a, a surety in someone's sense of self that I can see when they speak and articulate themselves in this way, like they're not using filler words. They're not just talking to talk they're making statements and they're articulating their their thoughts. And I just find it really beautiful to listen to. And I also feel like I have a deeper connection with someone like a, a dear friend when I can just hold space for them and listen, which is often what I feel like someone needs, especially if they're seeking support or seeking a listening ear and just being the best listener that I can be. It can be challenging for me as someone who does like to talk and share. And there's a time and place for that, but there's also a very important time and space for just receiving, for listening, and just accepting and being in silence or processing and thinking before I speak. Number 14, ask the questions. So not holding back, not being worried about what people think if I ask questions, asking questions in order to learn and to grow and expand my horizons, expand my understanding of things, asking questions about what I'm learning, asking questions around, you know, the things that I believe and like whether that's still true for me, just constantly being curious, being a student of life questioning, you know, things that don't feel right to me, questioning things that aren't working for me and questioning in order to learn and grow. I think ask all the questions and be curious. I I just love this outlook on life just to be a student of life. So major, major lesson that I've learned. That leads me to number 15, which would be to always remain a student, even as a teacher. So even though I teach yoga, I still want to make sure that I'm a student of yoga because there's always more to learn. There's always space for me to grow and expand. And I never want to lose that curiosity and that spark that originally drove me to teach. That's just one example, but in all areas of life, but particularly with what I do teach and share about, I'm always learning. I'm, you know, this podcast here, this is me sharing my own experiences. This is me sharing where I'm at right now. It's not meant to be some gospel or some single most single most important thought or, or answer to life's questions, right? This is me processing and learning and understanding along with you and sharing my own experiences. So I do think it's so important to always remain a student even as a teacher. Number 16, I am a soul having a human experience. So I spoke about this a little bit earlier, but essentially and simply, I am more than just human. You know, there's a soul through and through, and I believe that that soul is what connects us all to each other and to the greater universe at play. And I have access to that soul. That's the source of my intuition. It's my highest self. It's my source of of understanding and knowing on a deeper level. And it's, it's so, so many things that I, I guess I won't go into too much detail here and now, but I've really accepted 
this thought that I, this knowing that I am a soul having a human experience and that the human experience is highly important. You know, this is not just to say that my human self is, is smaller or, or lesser. It's absolutely an important critical part of having a soul is to live out the human experience. So here we are doing that. Number 17, we are more similar than we are different. And I don't think there's a ton that needs to be said around that, but it just feels good to acknowledge this, that, you know, I'm not alone in this, that folks similar to me or very different from me have had similar experiences, similar feelings, insecurities, fears. Ah, we're all the same in a beautiful way. We're all so similar, more similar than we are different. So just embracing that. You know, I was listening to Mark Nebo speak in an interview recently, and he talked about that his main goal in life would be to radiate love from his heart in all directions without preference. I thought that was so beautiful and so profound, just the way that, like, he, I think he likened it to a candle flame. Like, if you light a candle, it radiates light in all directions with no preference. You know, it's going to shine around its space. And, oh, that just feels so good. So that, that, I feel like that relates to this idea of just accepting the similarities of others and just loving those around us, regardless of context. Just being a source of love and light. Number 18, to listen to my body. And of course, the body is just this incredible guidance system in itself. It's very connected to our intuition. The way that we physically feel and how feelings physically manifest can be a really important indicator as to maybe what needs to be done or, or how, how we need to process certain things. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because we talk about how intuition, we liken it to a gut feeling. And often people literally feel it in their guts when there's something that's really compelling them. Um, and that's just one example. There's so many things when we talk about energy, we talk about chakras and the way that our energetic body is linked to our emotional body and all these different layers of ourself there's just so many beautiful things to learn and understand about how we feel and show up in the world by tuning into our bodies and this culminates in things like eating mindfully and changing you know pivoting taking care resting when I, I need to rest or giving myself the energetic boost when I need it like moving my body when I feel like I really need it and just allowing myself to listen, tune in, and this factors into exercise as well. So listen to my body. A lot more to be said there, but I'll leave it at that. Number 19, I can achieve my wildest dreams. This is a big lesson because about a year ago, I realized that I didn't believe this. I believed that dreams were some, it was some pipe dream. It was some far off impossible land that I will never reach, that I will never attain. And there were things that, you know, it was like on tears. It was like, there are certain things that I desire that yes, I can have, but there were other things higher on this tier level that no, I would never, I would never be able to do that. You know, I would never be able to think that crazy and achieve that actually, like that would never happen. And I don't, I don't know, I think it's just a more innate and clear connection to who I am and what I want in this world. And as I've improved my inner dialogue and as I feel like I've connected more to my inner self, I have come to realize how untrue that is. It's crazy to me. Like I didn't believe in my dreams. Like I didn't believe that the word dreams even meant something that could actually come true, right? It was just that everybody had these dreams and we could talk about them, we could share about them, but we never actually stepped into them, right? Like that was the perception. Yet I've totally game changed that for myself. Like I don't believe that. I had this really cool experience. I think I talked about in the last podcast episode when I read my entries is like I was journaling on these wild, crazy dreams that I was trying to come up with the craziest list I could. And I read the back of the list and I was like, these are all possible. And the only thing standing in my way is me. 
So just this big mind blown moment for me that I realized like, wow, my dreams are actually attainable and I can make my way toward them. And even though I realized that some dreams may not come true, there is the capacity to strive for and reach for these things and actually achieve greatness. So just reframing that for myself in recent years has been really, really important. Number 20, to love so much that there's no room for anything else. About five or six years ago, I went through a pretty tough experience just dealing with different dynamics of relationships in my life. And when I was really at my lowest point, I had this thought come through, which now I know was my intuition, but it was before I really understood what that meant. I had this thought come through when I was feeling real rough to love so much that there's no room for anything else. And in that moment, that was the answer that I needed to just reframe, you know, to get out of the resentment or the fear and anxiety that I felt and just to love everyone in the situation as much as I possibly could muster and that there would be no room for anything else. There would be no room for fear. There would be no room for hatred and resentment if I could just remember to, like I said earlier, just expand that love in all directions without preference as much as I possibly could. That can be really, really hard to actually feel into, but that is ultimately the answer, and that was the answer for me in that moment. So love so much that there's no room for anything else. Number 21 is to foster friendships and to be open to new ones. I've had many friendships throughout my life and some that have stuck, others that have floated away. And I shared a whole podcast episode on this, in fact, but I've really, really realized how important those meaningful, true friendships are to me and how I can really be the best friend that I can be, how I can foster those relationships and how I can be open to receiving and and welcoming new ones into my life and how beautiful of an experience that that has been once I I opened my heart. Number 22, that answers will be revealed to me when I am ready. Simple as that, that I don't have all the answers, I don't need to have all the answers, and that when I am equipped, when I have gotten to a point where I am ready, I believe that my soul gives me the answers that I need or that the answers come to me externally, they've been guided to me, I know that the information, the answers that I seek will come in good time. So I've really learned to trust that and that I don't need instant gratification and instant understanding of things that things will be revealed to me when I am ready. Even when it doesn't feel like I'm ready for it, typically I am and it just takes a little extra processing to really get the lesson. Number 23, this is a big one, but I won't spend a ton of time here. And it's simply that I get to create my version of God. I get to create how I see God. And this has been really hugely helpful in my spiritual life because I was actually, back to resistance, very resistant to the word God because I didn't really have a very clear perception. I had maybe a flawed perception of what that meant and how people perceived God. It was very much what uh, pop culture perceives God as or, you know, like visualizing God as Jesus, like a white guy with long brown hair and sandals and just this whole weird resistance that I had toward religion and this idea of God. And I didn't even want to use the word God. I didn't feel comfortable with the word God. And now here I am using it. And whether or not you resonate with that word, the idea that a higher power, you know, I get to, I get to identify, I get to describe just like you get to describe what your higher power is and feels like to you. And this was a lesson that I had to be guided into with, with mentorship and support because it was uncomfortable for me, but I feel a lot more grounded in my spirituality now, knowing that my higher power is the way that I perceive it. And it it feels, it feels relatable. It feels resonant to me. And, and now I can comfortably use the word God because I've, I've just felt my God. I've, I've felt what God is to me. And what I've learned truly is, and we can talk plenty more about this over coming episodes, but I've learned that God is within me, just like it is within all of us. It is actually that soul essence that I've been talking about. So goodness, there's a lot to be unpacked there, but simply, if you got anything out of that, it's just that I and you have the 
autonomy to define what God or what a higher power is to me or to you. 24, I don't always need to be productive. I think I alluded to this earlier when I talked about fun, but I also think about work and my pursuits and the things that I want to achieve. I've gotten into a lot of struggle when I have felt really headstrong about wanting to do things, even little things, and feeling like if I didn't do XYZ task that I wasn't going to achieve the big milestone down the road, like the the dream. You know, I got into this idea that if I wasn't checking the little boxes day to day to day, that I wasn't going to achieve the dream. And while there is, you know, continuous effort that goes into achieving something that you want to reach, it's it's really exhausting to be like on the hamster wheel of feeling like I always needed to be productive. And so this summer, really, I've stepped into that. You know, it goes back to me having fun, getting back in the pool, hanging out with my friends again, and actually just having like a summer break, letting go, doing stuff simply for the sake of having fun and letting go and not being productive has been so healing and so fun for me. So yeah, big lesson. Don't always need to be checking the boxes. 25 is the value and importance of mentorship and community in my life. And this is something that I am still continuing to seek, but I have felt really supported by certain folks in my life, mentor figures, over the past few years that have been able to show me their own strength and experience through what they've already been through in life and that I have not yet seen. And it's really helped open up my perspective to what is to come or what I can step into, how I can further evolve and grow. And so I've just really learned the importance of mentorship and I've also made the intention recently to open myself up to more outlets for mentorship, welcoming those folks into my life to help guide me. So yeah, all calls to the mentors out there that are drawn to my soul. Hello, can we work together? (laughs) That's how I feel right now. I'm very open to it. I've had great, great experiences with coaches and mentors in my own life, and I'm really eager and open to more guidance along my path. I think that's very important. Again, hearkening back to always remaining a student, even as a teacher. Last but not least, number 26, let go to make space to grow. Ah, it feels good just to say that. Maybe let that sink in just in the way that it is. Just letting go of what you don't need, letting go of those harbored resentments or insecurities letting go of resistance, everything we talked about even, letting go, letting go of bad habits, of people in your life even that aren't really vibing with you, that aren't okay with you growing, letting go of things that aren't working, that are holding you back in order to create space. I did a little social media cleanse a couple weeks ago, which is just a tiny example of letting go but it was specifically for the purpose of building that willpower to let go of something. And I was off of social media for one week. And in that time, so much stuff, so many emotions came to the surface. And I even had the experience where in a certain moment when I was kind of upset or bummed out about something that I thought, oh my God, I just want to get on social media so bad right now. I just was like aware that I wanted to numb myself by looking at social media. And I worked through it. The thing was I had this space because I didn't have this kind of mind-numbing outlet like social media to turn to. I had created this space intentionally within that week to get off of it. And I was able to, you know, address how I was feeling in that moment. And I feel like I've grown due to that. And it was just a simple exercise, just one week out of my whole life. And that's just one example, you know, it's letting go of actual physical things or habits like I described a social media cleanse or letting go of thought patterns that don't work for you. Like I said, people, anything, anything that creates space because we need space to expand. You know, when we're boxed in and it's, it's crowded and it's cluttered, there's no space to expand. And oftentimes it requires us taking the initiative to clear that clutter to clear that space in our lives, whatever that might look like, in order to expand, to blossom, to grow outside of your box, to even have space to navigate 
how to get out of the box, you know? So that's a huge lesson. And that was number 26. So with that, I will close and just say that I'm thankful for another trip around the sun, that I'm grateful to be here and to have spent this birthday with many really special friends and family members in my life. And I'm just really at peace with where I am right now. I can truly say that I've struggled in in the past few months to really find peace with where I am and what's next. And while I don't really know what's next right now, in this moment, I can breathe and know that I will find that next stepping stone, that it will come to me, that I will be guided to it. And that everything I talked about is being integrated. All of these lessons are being integrated into my life now because I've been able to share them with you today. And I just hope that you have a few little takeaways or even just one little takeaway that you can ponder for yourself in the next few days or the next week until we meet again on the next podcast episode. So if you enjoyed this episode, if you made it to the end, thank you so much for being here. Please leave a review, rate it and review it specifically on Apple Podcasts. That's still the best place for a podcast to grow, but also please subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts so that you can keep up with the show and let me know what you like as well. I would love to hear from you. If you want to drop me a line in on Instagram at my modern mantra, the same as the show, it's at my modern mantra. On Instagram, you can send me a DM about either what you thought about this episode or ideas for future topics that you'd love for me to talk about. And I think we've got like 26 right here that we just talked about that could literally be their own podcast episodes. But tell me what you're drawn to, and we will start to explore those avenues. Again, thank you. Take care. Namaste.